All right, I am so excited for you all to listen to this episode of Forward Thinking Founders. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that we are officially starting an email list as we have some big plans for the podcast and we'll be telling people on the email list first and probably only the people on the email list. So feel free to sign up and get on the email list at f20r.com. That's F as in Frank, two zero, R as in red.com. And I'll see you over there. All right, how is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Katia Dahmer, who is the CEO and co-founder of Prolific. Katia, welcome to the show. How is it going? Hi, Matt. Greetings from London. It's great to chat to you. Yeah, it is great to talk to you, too. I think I... I, I I'm 80% sure you're the first founder I've had on the show from London and is talking and is kind of calling in from London. So that's a first. So, so I'm excited. Uh, I'm just excited to learn more about you and what you're working on. And with that, let's just get started. Prolific, what is it? For people that aren't familiar, uh, what is the product? Yeah, uh, so Prolific is a two-sided platform that matches scientists and companies with research participants on demand. This is what we do, right? We make it much easier to access high quality data about people and to do research with people um, on the internet. Okay, so there's many buckets here. And as we talked about before, beforehand, I spent a good amount of time thinking about this space. So I want to start with the, the problem, the, the, the current way or the previous way that people have, uh, have thought about getting in touch like kind of with, their, with the market or doing interviews. Can you talk about how it's been and what kind of the, the status quo is right now? Yeah, uh, just to clarify. So we started in the academic kind of science space. Um, and to give you a little bit of context here, so we created Prolific when I was in the first year of my PhD, um, doing psychology research, and I had a super hard time finding people to take part in my, in my experiments and surveys. Um, I looked on the internet, couldn't really find a good, affordable uh, tool, so I teamed up with my co-founder and CTO, Phelan, um, who built the MVP about five years ago. And we were doing Prolific as a fun side project during our PhDs uh, for several years. Um, and so to answer your question, um, typically you would do a lot of research in person. So you would get people into the lab, let's say, if it's in science. Or in fact, you actually even have industry labs these days as part of some of the big tech companies. Um, and then nowadays you have a trend towards online research where you can actually get a lot more um, representative samples of people. Otherwise, if you just do lo local research, um, the people you get are very biased, right? Imagine doing research locally in San Francisco or London. It's a very specific subset of the population. And so to do better, more representative research, um, a lot of researchers and companies are uh, looking online uh, these days. Got it. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. So to dive into how the product works. So it, 
let's talk about the the participant side first. So, well, actually, sorry, let me let me take that back. Let's talk about the the companies or the people that are looking for researchers. So, what is an example of a type of a person, a type of of researcher who goes on to prolific and and tries to find people to to get data from? Like, what what's the kind of average persona? Yeah. Yeah, so 90% of our current customers are actually uh, scientific researchers. And so the most common use case we see is basically what we call behavioral research or behavioral science, where some researchers want to better understand some sort of behavior, maybe could be a question around, you know, nudging and incentives, or it could be about political attitudes. Maybe they want to understand why people voted for Brexit or Trump, let's say. So, uh, yeah, it's typically questions around human psychology and behavior that researchers want to better understand right now. Um, even though the remaining 10% of our customers are actually increasingly uh, from industry and from tech companies, including startups, but also very mature uh, companies. So if I am a researcher or, and, and I want to learn, you know, what, what, do I want, what do I want to research? Let's say I want to research how people think about sleep and if they value sleep or don't value sleep, yeah. you know, do they, do they get four hours or eight hours, you know, whatever. Um, how would I like walk me through uh, your platform and how I would go on it and then find the participants and like how would I engage with them do you have surveys is it like video chat can you kind of get into the weeds there yeah absolutely so right now we have around 70,000 uh, quarterly active uh, research participants on our platform primarily in Europe and North America and so if you're a researcher and you want to investigate sleep uh, or sleeping behaviors you would come to our website you would play around with our audience checker uh, to see um, what kinds of de demographics people do we have. And we have hundreds of variables that you can uh, choose from to see, you know, um, if these people would meet your criteria and if they're your target audience. And then our system tells you straight away, look, we have these target demographics or we don't. Um, and that way you know uh, whether you can recruit your sample of participants through Prolific. Um, and so after you've played with the audience checker, you can then, um, you'll need to create your survey outside of Prolific. So we don't provide a survey builder at the moment uh, because that's a very saturated space. Um, this is really not the pain point for our customers. The real pain point they have is getting access to the right target audience to speak to. So you create your survey in some other tool, maybe type for Qualtrics or SurveyMonkey, and then you paste your survey URL on Prolific, and then the remaining steps would be specify your sample size, how many people would you like to talk to, 200 or 1,000, and we're pretty strong with quantitative research, so we can get you fairly large samples of people, um, and then you need to specify your incentive, how much do you want to pay each person, and that's pretty much it. You can then uh, launch your survey and start collecting data immediately. The average survey is completed in um, less than two hours. So it's pretty much on demand. You know, traditional solutions, let's say panel companies, it can take weeks, if not months, to get access to the right data, whereas uh, we make it very much on demand. So I want to dive into one of the last things you said, which is the you they set the incentive. So I would set the incentive. How do how have you seen 
researchers or the 10% of, of companies or tech companies that come on, how do they value these responses? What is, I guess what I mean is that is like, what is the rate, like what are the types of incentives? And is this data, like, is it like a $5 gift card to Netflix is like a hundred dollars in cash because it's so important. How do you think about the incentives there? Great question. Um, right now it's a cash incentive. So anybody um, in OECD countries can sign up as a research participant straight away on Prolific and uh, you can earn cash that way. So it's a bit like instead of driving an Uber, you can sit on your couch and do some surveys and earn some cash basically. Um, and so we've quite intentionally chosen cash as an incentive because a lot of our competitors, if you kind of points and price draws and it's super obscure and that's really it's not really clear to participants what they're actually getting out of it and so we feel that everyone's time is valuable so there needs to be some appropriate compensation um, we mandate that uh, customers pay uh, at least six dollar fifty an hour to participants sounds like not much at all but it's actually pretty generous compared to other sites on the internet. In fact, most competitors really underpay participants. And as a result, the data that you get out of it is often very questionable. Um, so yeah, there's this minimum reward, but there's no upper limit. So customers could choose to pay a lot more if it's a highly uh, desirable demographic or hard to reach demographic. That makes, that makes sense. Uh, and then uh, I want to ask one last question on this side, then we'll flip to the, uh, to the, to the other side of, of this. So you mentioned that a company or a researcher can put out a request and it gets, it gets completed in like one, two, three, four, five hours, like, like within the day, almost on demand, as you said, how do you do that? That is very impressive. And I, I think, I totally understand why people would get with you simply because of how fast they can get the data responses. How do you are able to do it in two hours? Um, I think it's because participants are already signed up to our platform. So they're basically ready to go and could just hop on, onto a survey, so to speak, super fast. Um, obviously we can't deliver all possible demographics just yet. Right. So the beauty is that the system is so transparent. We tell you in advance, we can't deliver this or we can't deliver this. Right. And whenever we can, then it's really fast. Um, so you don't waste any time, you know, speaking to a salesperson endlessly until you can finally understand whether the company can actually deliver the sample that you're after. We're really transparent and really clear with our customers about what we can and cannot do. And the marketplace model, the direct matching also accelerates uh, the whole process. So there's no middleman or gatekeeper or anything like that. That makes sense. I, uh, yeah, I think that's super cool. Um, and I want to flip now to the participant side. So I might have misheard you or maybe I heard you correctly. Did you say you have like 70,000 people on on your platform ready to take ready to take uh kind of give give their data or give their information or answers that's correct yeah in the past quarter we had seventy thousand. well and currently have seventy thousand people who are ready you know to take part in the survey all right i am super intrigued to hear how have you thought about how do you get 70,000 people? What, uh, is it word of mouth? Is it paid marketing? I, I'm super intrigued to hear how you got that, that big of a big amount of people. 
I'd love to have a super sophisticated answer to this, but the honest truth is that uh, it's been word of mouth kind of growth. Um, so uh, basically participants tell each other, you know, uh, and, and their friends and family and colleagues about uh, Prolific because they have such a good experience. Uh, it's super important for us um, to achieve that our users have a fantastic user experience. So we've always cared hugely about our product. Um, and like I mentioned, incentives, uh, which makes our participants feel valued and like they're, you know, taken seriously and, and, and looked after. And I think that has created a lot of trust. So trust has been huge for us, especially on the participant side. Um, and so I think that has fueled some of the organic word of mouth growth that we've seen. We've had a participant referral scheme for a while, but we phased it out because it, um, Basically, we decided that we wanted to diversify our participants, and, but we kept getting more of the same people. So it, it didn't quite make, make sense um, from a participant growth point of view. Um, but we're currently trying to switch gears into, um, into being focused on growth uh, more so. Uh, but yeah, but so far it's been word of mouth growth. That is the best kind of growth out there. People talk about what you're up to, that, that's cool. Um, I'm wondering, uh, Kind of a strategy question do you do you want to double down on um researchers scientists in that realm or do you see this potentially expanding to other disciplines for example like startups like do you think this could be a tool for startups or are you trying to keep it super narrow and and scale up vertically love this question um so we're pretty confident that we have product market fit in academia because 71 percent of our customers say that they'd be very disappointed if prolific no longer existed and our retention curves are pretty solid as well um so we're, we're confident that we should um uh, double down on growth in academia but at the same time we're not confident that we have product market fit in tech or industry just yet so what we're currently doing is we're doing a lot of customer interviews with tech companies to try and understand what are the big pain points that they have when trying to do research and gain insights from data. So yeah, so it's kind of like a two-pronged strategy. Uh, try to identify growth levers and growth channels in academia and try to scale up there. Whereas in industry, um, we need to first understand what kind of MVP we should be building Maybe it will turn out that it will be similar to the academic product we have. Maybe it will turn out that you know, it needs to be substantively different. So there's a lot of question marks there. In terms of ambition, we definitely want to um, expand beyond academia as well and have as much impact as possible um, to make it super easy for anybody, whether it's a scientist or a company or maybe even eventually a government, uh, to make it super easy for them to draw insights um, from data about human behavior so they can make better decisions. And actually, and just one more point um, around startups, um, it's fascinating to me that 90% of startups fail and it really makes you wonder why they fail. Um, is it maybe because they don't test their assumptions uh, enough before they launch a product? Or, you know, maybe it's, it's a question of getting uh, better access to data and doing a little bit more research before committing to some some idea, uh, startup idea. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. And the, the farther I go into startup lane and the more founders I talk to, 
the more I realize like, wow, like people don't really talk to their customers or not enough. They just kind of push an idea out, which granted there is some validity to pushing an idea and just like you willing yeah. your vision, but it can't just be that you need to, it needs to, that idea needs to be pushed into someone else's arms that would, that wants to catch it and use it and pay you money. So I, I agree with you on that. Cool. So, yeah. So uh, I'd love to hear you, you touched on it slightly about what you you're about your ambition and where you want to go. Um, so I want to just kind of dive into that and hear a decade from now or two decades from now, where do you see prolific and what's the big vision that you're rowing to in, in 2019? Yeah, it's a beautiful question. Um, so we're actually currently debating uh, two potentially competing visions. Uh, for prolific and we need to figure out what path we want to take. So you mentioned earlier um, being vertically integrated. So that's one potential vision for the product where we create a super vertically integrated product that has survey software as well, maybe an analytics layer that helps you extract value from the data. And it, you know, it's more of a premium product perhaps um, where we have a lot of control over the user experience. Right, um, so that could be one one potential future of the product. But on the other hand, there's this really compelling idea of building infrastructure for research on the internet. So more of an kind of API platform, perhaps um, that's quite open, and that uh, other researchers and, and companies and startups can build tools on top of. Right, that would mean we'd have a lot less control over the, the user experience. Maybe it will be more of a white label approach. Um, but the beauty of that letter vision is actually that um, we open it up and allow for almost like an ecosystem of uh, people powered applications to emerge, right? Um, and that way we could see, you know, what kinds of tools, um, research tools that are built take off, what sticks, you know, and then we could, it would basically be a bit like, mm, other kind of, well, customers do uh, a little bit of research on our behalf, right? They build the stuff and then we can see, right, this is the exciting stuff that's taking off. And we, we have a, I think we have a feeling that the letter, the infrastructure vision for the company is perhaps more impactful and, and more exciting, but there's lots of work to be done to figure out what kind of trajectory we want to, yeah, go for. That brings up a super interesting and valuable point in that a lot of people see, you know, like the Ubers, the Apples, the the mixed panels, these, these really big company and they're like, oh, duh, like that's obvious. They, 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 they saw the opportunity and they just tackled it. But the, the founders at the very early stages need to make a conscious choice that they want to go in that direction and that that's the vision and that's the direction that's going to yield them the, 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 far, the biggest returns and to go the farthest. And there's no right answer. It's just the founder picking the founder and CEO and maybe the founding team just picking the direction and hoping it's the right one and then executing as hard as you can. I'm curious, like, how do you, do you, do you how do you evaluate these, these different visions or more so more, more broadly when it comes to business opportunity, like you could have this and these are the pros, or you could have that and that's the pros for distribution channels or, or partnerships or whatever. How do you think about kind of making decisions that change the trajectory of the company one way or the other? Yeah, 
super important. Um, so we have a really fantastic leadership team. So I mentioned my co-founder and then we have a really fantastic COO. Um, and so we tend to have strategy meetings. That's how we typically start, right? So every two weeks we need to discuss some strategic question like this one, for instance, and then bounce off different, you know, arguments in favor and against. Um, we have obviously some, um, fantastic people we're working with as part of YC, for instance, uh, some of our mentors there, some really great investors. Uh, and then we have an advisor who's an um, economist at Microsoft Research in New York uh, with a lot of experience, both in academia and really deep insight into industry. So basically, I think the answer is we try to bounce off our thoughts and ideas of um, as many bright people as possible, but then eventually we'll have to make some sort of decision and place the bet. Um, so we just try to hold ourselves accountable, I guess, and then, you know, say, and time box it basically and say, look, in a couple of months from now, we actually need to decide which direction to take. Um, I think a lot of it is, it is just through discussion. Um, yeah, definitely. I like that a lot. Um, so a direction I want to move into, and this is a new frame of the question, but I think I'm going to give it a shot. Outside of Prolific and outside of your immediate uh, company and responsibilities, what do you think is the most exciting or cool thing happening in the world right now or company being built or technology being, being built on that you may know nothing about, but it's something that you just admire from afar or you're or intimate with already? What's kind of interesting out there in the world? Wow, I like to think about this one for a second. Um, and, and you're asking specifically about technology. It can be anything. Mm -hmm. it, so so anything. It, it can be any, anything that you find yourself thinking about uh, during the slim moments that you're not thinking about, prolific, yeah. that you just kind of, you're interested in, even if you're not. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, what comes to mind straight away is actually the Extinction Rebellion. I'm absolutely mesmerized and fascinated by how a bunch of teenagers essentially kicked off this massive social movement around curbing climate change um, and, and, and global warming. I think that's just absolutely phenomenal how, how that took off in the past couple of years. Um, so I find myself reading um, about that a lot on the internet and just being astonished by how social movements sometimes can happen if the world cares enough about uh, some some trend or development. It's kind of the beauty of the internet, right? Like I feel like that was a lot harder 50 years ago, but now with the internet, it just takes kind of a couple of people or a group of people with loud like passion and almost loud voices on the internet to share to share it out, and then it starts a movement. Which and this literally children, right? I mean, a teenager started this basically, right? Greta Thunberg from Sweden. So to me, it's absolutely mind blowing how that has grown and continues to grow as well. Definitely, uh, yeah, I I agree with that, and it just shows the power of of, of people and a voice combined with the distribution of the good old internet. Yes. So uh, to a couple more questions for you. I'd love to hear what are some of the biggest <clears throat> learnings that you've had from building prolific and you know, things that, that you might have struggled with, but now that you've gotten through, you, you understand how it works, that you didn't know how it worked before you started your company. Yeah. Um, so number one, 
and it's maybe almost too obvious for a lot of startup-minded people, but maybe it's actually not. So, you know, before you throw money at growth and marketing and sales, have product market fit first, right? You need to have some confidence first that the product you've built resonates with your target market before you should throw any money at growth. Because otherwise you end up in a situation where you, you know, try to market that product, but it actually doesn't resonate, it doesn't stick, and then you churn through the market, and uh, it's just all wasteful, basically. So that's the number one piece of advice I think I also took from YC. Um, this summer, yeah, have product market fit first before spending money on growth. Um, what else are uh, some of the big learnings? Um, I think in the early days of Prolific, uh, I tried to follow that mantra of purely focus on building the product and don't go to networking events, you know, don't get distracted. And fast forward to today, I think it's actually not so simple. You need to be both building your product, but also build relationships with people because otherwise you're just this one person and how are you going to, you know, grow and distribute the product later on? So I think nowadays I'd say healthy balance between obsessive focus on product, but also building relationships out there in the world, you know, going to maybe a conference or so or to meetups. Um, I'd say a healthy balance of both is I think, quite important. Um, uh, let me see, any other major learnings? It's kind of cool that uh, nowadays, uh, almost anyone can start a startup, right? So I'm an academic by training. So I did a PhD in psychological research, right? And this is the first startup that I've co-founded. And, you know, it's extremely daunting, but if you find the right people to work with, actually, um, you can make something amazing happen. So I think it's the beauty of startups that you can just tackle it head on. And, and you just know there's a ton you need to learn. You don't have all the answers and that's actually okay, right? Uh, it's, it's very empowering, I think, to be in the startup world. Um, it would have been very intimidating for me many years ago. And I'm still sometimes intimidated by all the things that I don't know. But with the right team and the right co-founder, you can make amazing things happen. And that's, I think, yeah, beautiful. Definitely. I, I like that a lot. It is all about team um, at the end of the day and all about people. So my second to last question, is, there are a lot of people listening to, to you and to us talking, and they think that I... I want to start a company. I, I know there's a problem in the world. I have a product I want to build, but I don't necessarily know how to get out there and get started and, and start a company. What advice would you have for these people who want to start a company or want to solve a problem, but don't know the first step to do that? Yeah, so the way we did it was in a very kind of lightweight way. So during our PhDs, like I mentioned, and, and so we were doing it part-time for a while, you know, you don't have to go full-time straight away. You can experiment with it a little bit, maybe during your other full-time job that you're having. Um, so I'd say start with connecting with people that might be interested in, in what you're building, right? Reach out to them maybe on Twitter or LinkedIn, go to meetups, uh, right? The internet makes it so easy these days. Um, consider maybe applying for accelerators or incubators. 
So Y Combinator is an obvious one, uh, but uh, you also have other ones like Entrepreneur First in London, where you apply as an individual without an idea, and then you develop your idea during the uh, incubator. Um, so that way you don't have the pressure, you know, to already have a lot of revenue or something like that. So there's a bunch of different types of accelerators out there. So I recommend checking those out. Um, I consider bootstrapping for a little while as well. Um, you know, budget capital can be good, but you know, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that, right? You, there's many different ways to, to start with a startup. We were bootstrapping for many years. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It can be very stressful at times because, uh, you know, you have to wait for your revenue to come in before you can invest into maybe getting someone on board and into your team. But it can work, especially if you already have some sort of job. Um, yeah, I'd say reach out to like-minded people who, you know, look interesting, might be interested in what you are building. Um, that's probably the number one piece of advice. All right. Uh, thank you for, for all of that advice. It's all very valuable um, for, for everyone listening. Uh, and my last question for you is we have a whole community of, of people that are listening, they're learning about Prolific, and they want to help. And as you know, more than anyone, being a startup founder can sometimes be really hard, and sometimes you could use a little help. So my question for you is how can the forward-thinking found, forward founders community help you? Is there any ask that you have for the listeners or something that you are in need of that someone might be able to have, whether it's hiring, you know, sales, whatever, how can we help? That's very generous of you, Matt. Thank you. Uh, there's two things, I think. So we've just raised our first round of financing, our seed round. Um, and we're currently hiring for nine new roles, which is huge for us because up until that date, um, you know, we've been only hiring one or two people at a time. And um, so some of the key roles that um, we're hoping uh, to hire for are um, a growth manager, product manager, a sales development representative. So, oh yeah, and a senior Python engineer as well. So these are some of the roles that we uh, would love a little bit of extra support with, um, especially from diverse candidates, so be, uh, women and minority founders or, or entrepreneurs. Um, that would be fantastic. Um, and then what was the other thing? Oh yeah, I'm doing a lot of customer research uh, with tech companies right now. So if anyone can spare maybe half an hour to talk to me uh, about um, how they're doing research, so it could be product researchers, UX researchers, or market researchers, growth researchers. So anyone like that, if, if there's anyone out there uh, who wants to chat for half an hour and, and just yeah, lend their time, that would be amazing. And then that would inform what kinds of products we would be building for, for industry. Um, Great. Well, you all heard it here. If you think you can help with any of that to any of you listening, uh, how can they get in touch with you? How, how can they learn more about Prolific on the internet or get in touch? Yeah. Um, so I have open DMs on Twitter. That's maybe an easy way to do that. Um, so it's at E-K-A. D-A-M-E-R. So Ekaterina Dammer is my full name, or you just call me Katya. Um, hope that was clear. <laughs> cool. 
Uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I, I, I love this space. I love what you're doing. And I think the, the position that you're in, kind of getting ready for hyper growth, having just raised some money, is super exciting. So congrats on the success. And, and again, thanks for spending some time on Forward Thinking Founders. Thank you so much, Matt. It was a pleasure to speak to you.